we said, let's raise a smaller fund, see if we can kind of get this off the ground. We became oversubscribed in about six weeks, so oh, we end up really fast for us, and we lucked out. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. No, it's like a casual conversation between friends. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love the podcast. As the pandemic wound down this year into, well, whatever it is we're calling it now, Mendel Chuang said he found himself with a bit of extra money. The way you find yourself with extra money if you were at Google before the company's IPO. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, and you? One, two, three. Oh, okay, that's got it. Mendel and his business partner and husband, Derek Langton, started to invest that money, which caught their friend's interest. And all of a sudden, they had an investment fund. Where did the money come from? Yeah, so we lucked out in working with a variety of different uh, investors that really kind of believed in what we were doing and the thesis that uh, what we had. And so we have over 80 investors, um, and they range from people who've worked at places uh, such as Google, Apple, Microsoft, some of the large tech companies, as well as some who have worked at very successful startups, including Stripe, uh, Carta, and Toast. The end result is a small pile of money called the Acquired Wisdom Fund, run by an accidental VC. $5 million in the fund, right? Yes. That's a really, really nice house uh, (laughs) on the peninsula. Yeah. It's not much money, but it's a darn good start, I think. Yeah, so for our debut fund, we actually really excited um, that we were able to raise this. Um, You know, it's one of these things we're just getting started. We're going to see how this goes. Our initial check size into startups is about twenty-five dollars to $75,000. Um, so it's not a huge check. And th- that actually allows us to be very collaborative um, with other investors. So we can either help kick off the round for the startup or help fill out the round. Um, but it allows us to work really well with other um, VCs out there, other investors. And so one of the really nice things about having a fund of that size, it allows us to share deals with other GPs. They'll share deals with us. And we get to be very collaborative and work with There are plenty of venture capital firms that uh, do seed investment or very early investment, um, which you're doing as well. 
I suspect part of the reason you chose, you know, early seed investment is you can't make a very big check. Uh, you're smiling and nodding. Yes, I, I agree with that. I think doing pre-seed investment um, is definitely a, a hard thing to do. Um, and so a lot of the larger firms like Tiger, KOTU, some of these larger ones, um, it's very hard for them to move to that level. They are moving earlier and earlier is what I've heard. Um, but to move to the pre-seed side where they're pre-product, there's not much data to go off of. There's not revenue n- numbers you can look at. Um, that's our sweet spot. And that's why we love doing it there. And we get to get involved with these founders early. So what do you go off of? I mean, you, you said established founders. So you go off their previous success, their, that they've done something good at Google or wherever, and, and you now think they can do something on their own? So yeah, there's two things we primarily focus on. One is the founders, so that they've done something interesting in their background, they've worked somewhere interesting, um, they can talk about some of their past accomplishments. But the other part is the product that they're building. Um, And so this really kind of came out as an extension of our own angel investing. So had done some angel investing back in 2013. We had invested in a variety of different companies. One of them was called Osmo. Um, And the founders there, Promote and Jerome, had previously worked at Google, NVIDIA, Ubisoft, LucasArts. So it kind of matches the seasoned professional background that we were looking for. But the other really interesting thing was um, they didn't have a launch product to show us. They had no revenue numbers, no user data. But what they had was a really compelling demo. What they were building was an iPad accessory that took advantage of of kind of the, the new technology that was coming out. And what we saw was it was really comp- compelling because they had a really good computer vision element to what they were doing. Um, we invested in them um, back in 2013. They went on to be acquired by Baiju um, in 2019. And Baiju is now India's largest ed tech company. So we're looking at a pretty good return there. And more importantly, the relationship we built with the founders over the years has been really amazing. Um, and they liked us so much as investors that both co-founders are actually now investors in our Acquired Wisdom Fund. Was it easy? You and I have a common friend in Elizabeth Yin, and she said that when she was doing Hustle Fund, raising money, uh, she alone did 300 meetings in nine months. So for, you know, I counted all the meetings on my Google calendar. And for me, I, I did something uh, well over 300 meetings during the course of about nine months. And my business partner, Eric, did about the same. So in total, you can say about 700 meetings between the two of us. We actually lucked out in just having a lot of these friends that really believed in us. And so we had a lot of meetings, but I think we were in a point where we had a very compelling thesis. We had interesting deal flow. And so uh, a lot of these investors believed in us. And we ended up um, initially, you know, we said, let's raise a smaller fund, see if we can kind of get this off the ground. We became oversubscribed in about six weeks. So oh, it ended geez. up really fast for us. And um, we lucked out. Um, but at the same way, you know, we wanted to be very scrappy about this. And so um, that's kind of been our approach. And I think it's worked out well. We have a lot of people who believe in us. Now, you oversubscribed. You could have turned a $5 million fund into a bigger fund. Why, you had the discipline to say, no, this is what we want to do? Yeah. So we actually started, um, our initial target was $3 million. And so that's where we kind of ah, started. And okay. then we kind of said, as we went along, if there were other investors that were interested, um, we were willing to expand the fund. Um, and But we didn't want it to get too big. And so we ended up doing, going up to five. And we said, that still allows us to keep to our original thesis, 
write the size checks that we want, and also be very, you know, we have to be good shepherds of this money. This is the part, you know, as we're talking to startups and founders, we want to make sure, you know, this is going to be a good investment, potentially a good return. We know it's super risky, and we've warned all our investors about that. Uh, but we want to make sure we're also, you know, make, making sure we're putting it into the right companies that we're going to be successful. Give me, uh, uh, give me the pitch. Uh, let's say you had come to me to invest. Uh, what, what's the pitch? When talking to RLPs, we generally talk about actually first ourselves. I mean, if we, you know, if one of us, it's the, the major things we look at is the founders and their background. So first of all, we talk about the general partners. That includes myself and my husband. Um, and so we talk about our backgrounds and kind of how we ended up where we are now. Um, and then we talk about kind of the, the thesis. And what's really interesting for what we're looking at is we want to target these seasoned professionals, people with prior work experience. Um, and that seems actually pretty unique in the space. Uh, not many other VCs specifically target that. Um, and so that resonated well with a lot of the um, LPs that we ended up talking to. And then most importantly was actually the deal flow. Um, the fact that I've been running a startup accelerator for the past 10 years, I've been talking a lot of startups through it, um, that was very compelling to them. And I'm continuing to run that program as well. And so Founder Friendly Labs, I still run the program and we'll see startups and see deal flow through that. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. You mentioned you need to be a good shepherd uh, in your, in, of the money. And it actually reminds me of, uh, there's a Bible story about uh, a guy who gives his servants money and, and one of them goes off and invests it. And the other one just buries it in the ground. And I'm I'm just such a conservative person, right? That I would bury mine in the ground. Now, the moral of the story is don't do that because the guy who invested, you know, makes five times as much. Um, that's got to give you some sleepless nights, though. I mean, if people hand you money and you make decisions with their money, it's it's that oh, it just makes me just worry worry, and I don't even have the money. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something, you know, that puts more pressure. So this money is coming from a lot of friends that we have, as well as family money. Like a lot of my family has put money into the fund as well. Um, so it is something we realize we need to be good shepherds of this money. Um, but that said, we've warned everyone this is a high-risk thing to be investing in startups. Um, so don't put in any more than you can afford. Of course, to yes. I mean, it, it, to anyone listening, 
money being a limited partner in a venture capital firm is, you know, the one success in 10 at best. I mean, it's, I think everyone understands that. Nonetheless, it is something in which these are friends and these are family. And what if uh, you never do have a hit and they, they come back to you and say, hey, you know, it never, you didn't do anything with my money. Yeah. So our focus is actually make sure we do talk to these startups, do our due diligence, understand what they're working on, looking at their background. And our hope with this, you know, we understand a lot of these startups um, may not end up working out, but our hope is to hopefully invest in another Osmo again. We were able to do it back in 2013. And if we could do another thing like that, um, I think we would be very happy with that result. You had your own startup, uh, Smoopa. Uh, it's how you and I met many, many, many years ago. Uh, it eventually closed down. Uh, are there things you learned about your own startup that you then take with you as you look at other startups? Yeah, so what's been really interesting as we've talked to some founders um, when we're thinking about investing, they actually realized that because I was a prior founder myself, I'm asking very different questions than a lot of other VCs they talk to. Uh, for example, we care a lot about the founders and their background and their journey, kind of how they ended up where they are. And the other thing is we'll look at the product. What are they building? How does it work? What is the UI like? What is the functionality? And so these are the things we look into and we ask questions in a different way because we've been founders ourselves. The other part is we know the whole reason this ecosystem exists, the reason we get to invest is because there are these amazing founders out there. So we're very respectful of the founders' time, um, and we will be quick in getting back to them um, and responding. Um, typically, we'll make a decision within a week of meeting the founders. And so this is a kind of investor that I would have loved to interact with and I, I was able to interact with when I was a founder myself. And so this is what we want to be contributing to the ecosystem. How do you find these potential deals? I mean, if you're Andreessen Horowitz, you know, you just have to to put a, a desk out on Sand Hill Road and say, come to me with ideas and, and they'll line up seven blocks long. Uh, where do you find the things that you want to invest in? So some of them come through the accelerator. So we have some interesting startups that come through that. Others will come through other GPs. Um, that are seeing interesting deals themselves and will share some of their deals with us and we will share some of our deals with them. And then, most importantly, we actually just have a link on our website. That um, really works. Yeah, awf.vc. There's a button there that takes you to a form. You fill it out. We respond and look to look at every single application that we receive through there. And so if any startups are interested— That's got to run the—any startups are interested, I cut you off, uh, uh, go to your website. But that's got to run the gamut of, of just completely insane to the occasional, hey, this has got something to it. Exactly. We'll see all sorts of things. And so for some, it's very clear it's not the right fit for us. You know, they might be in an industry or—, or um, you know, they're doing biotech or something that's not really in our wheelhouse, or they're later stage and it's not a fit for us. But then there's others, some gems that we'll see through there where someone submitted an application and we're like, they match our seasoned professional thesis, they're working on a scalable technology product, and all the check marks line up and we say, this is really interesting. We will then reach out to the startup and say, yeah, let's set up a meeting, let's talk about what you're doing. And you funded at least two startups so far, right? Yeah, we've actually done four so far. Okay. Um, and so we were deploying as we were fundraising, which is also a very interesting challenge for a lot of emerging fund managers. And so we funded four so far. I'm very proud of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a very, very interesting journey so far. 
Well, give me an, give me an example. What uh, which ones are you excited about? I mean, um, obviously, I I was talking to Emily Melton the other day. She said, "Well, it's like asking me which is my favorite child." Yeah, but but give me give me some high points. Yeah, so love them all. Uh, but one of them we're really excited about is called Design Pro. Um, they're building a tool for designers. And what was really interesting about that is actually one of the co-founders, Mohammed, used to work at Google. Um, that's actually how we first met back in 2004. Um, and so he worked at Google and then, uh, at pretty early on. And then he left to join a small startup called Siri. Um, they, you know, did, he was one of the first product people there. They clearly did really well, got acquired by Apple. And so he worked at Apple for a few years after the acquisition. He's since gone on to do a few different startups, and this is his latest startup. And so that's an example of something we get very excited about because of his background, um, things that he's done, and things he's learned over the years. And uh, so with what he's currently working on now, we're like, this is really exciting. We want to support him on this journey. We're in this funny, I, I always often say we don't want to talk ourselves into a recession or an economic downturn uh, because a lot of the evidence says we're not there. Uh, that the, the economy's doing okay. Uh, but did it give you pause that your timing here is, or maybe it's the best timing in the world? Yeah, so definitely fundraising has gotten harder. It was both harder for us. Um, we saw the change happen as, you know, the downturn started to happen. Um, it's definitely reflected in the stock market. So it's top of mind for a lot of investors. And so we see that happening with a lot of founders and startups themselves, where it has gotten harder for them to raise this year than it was last year. Um, that said, we think some of the best companies are going to come out from these times. I think, Often do. Yeah, startups have to be scrappy. Um, getting funding is not as easy as it was. So they need to be careful about their runway and their burn um, and all these things that I think just as a good startup, you should be concerned about. How do you make money? How do you make more money than it costs you to get that customer? Um, and so a lot of these things they need to be thinking about. So we actually think this is going to actually be some of the best time to be investing. So you know, over the next couple of years, I think a lot of great opportunities are going to come around. And we think as investors, we're well positioned to take advantage of that. When you were fundraising, were there people you turned down and said, you know what, no, I know you want to be in the fund, but I'm not going to let you? So, yes, so it does happen. Um, and it mostly comes down to fit. I think what's really important, um, just as startups should be very careful at the investors they take, same thing goes for you know general partners. When you're raising a fund, you want to make sure there's kind of the right investors involved. So for us, we primarily focused on high net worth individuals, um, people with the money that they can. This explains why you never pitched me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I tried at one point. <laughs> yes, I remember you did. I, yes, you did. You had mentioned earlier that your husband, Derek, is the other partner in this fund. And I should point out to the listener that he's in the room. He's been taking pictures. He's very proud of you. Can I say uh, hi? <laughs> can I say hi, he says from off camera. Absolutely, or off, off microphone. Um, explain to me the decision-making process if you have two partners uh, and you are married to that partner, if one says this is what we should do and the other one says no. So – it does happen at times where we might disagree on stuff. Generally, first, we discuss it. Um, and so we kind of say, all right, here's what I think about this. Here's what I think about this. Because we have such a longstanding relationship, um, and this is honestly what we like to see about startups as well. If the co-founders in a startup 
have some prior relationship. Yeah, there's that. there's a certain marriage to that as well. Yeah, yeah. So it bodes well that. But we'll discuss it, and oftentimes we actually, one of us will bring up something the other hadn't thought about. Um, like, oh, did you think about this market problem, or there is this opportunity with it? And we're actually able to talk it out and convince each other of it. That said, you know, in investing, not everyone agrees, um, and we see this even with other. Um, GPs we work with. Some are very excited about a deal that we're not at all excited about um, and vice versa. And so um, we will discuss it. And if that works, it's great. But otherwise, if one of us has strong enough conviction, we will still make that investment. Mm-hmm. And I say, yeah, I really believe in it in these reasons. And I say, I, I don't necessarily agree with them, but you sound convincing enough that let's just go. Let's try with it. Now, the, the one advantage to having a disagreement with a GP at the office on Sand Hill Road is that you get to go home at the end of the night uh, and maybe you still maintain that friendship and and no hard feelings, et cetera. But when you go home at night, you're just, there he is. Yes. So he's right there. <laughs> we, we live with our decisions. But we both know investing is really risky. And we actually did our angel investments together. That was discussed between both of us. And so we have a history of looking at startups and investing in them before. And so we just kind of see this as an extension of that. Mendel Chuang, one half of the Acquired Wisdom Fund. Now, earlier in the podcast, as I was talking with Mendel, I mentioned Elizabeth Yin and Hustle Fund. Her fundraising story was the focus of an episode of Sand Hill Road back about three years ago. At the end of the meeting, I asked him, so what do you think? Trying to close him. And he said, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing and call you a meek Asian woman, but I question how you'll lead a company of 100 people. And that just really shocked me because, frankly speaking, nobody had ever said anything like that to me before. But it was actually very illuminating to me. I think, you know, at first I was uh, angry. Obviously, I thought that was an inappropriate comment. It's one of dozens of interviews you can find in our archives. Take a look. I'm sure you'll find lots of interesting stories from Sand Hill Road. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.